Hi and welcome to this latest episode from 1914-1918war.com. In this episode we'll be continuing our reading of Bruce Benn's father's Bullets and Billets. We're up to chapter 26. As always, please consider signing up for free at 1914-1918.substack.com for the newsletter. Um, articles going up there for free uh, and then some paid content going up over time. And uh, with that advert over, time for chapter 26. Everything you hold for a while is at stake. You are not a Chapter 26. A Pleasant Change. Suzette, Bertha and Martha. La Jeune Fille Farouche. André. On the next morning we left Balliol, and the whole of our battalion marched off down one of the roads leading out into the country in a westerly direction. The weather was now excellent, so what with the prospect of rest, fine weather, and the departure from the Volvergame trenches, we were all very merry and bright, and going strong all round. It seemed to us as if we had come out of some dark, wet underworld into a bright, wholesome locality, suitable for the habitation of man. Down the long, straight, dusty road we marched, hop-yards and bright-coloured fields on either side, here and there passing prosperous-looking farms and estaminets. What a pleasant change it was from that ruined, dismal jungle we had so recently left. About three or four miles out we came to a village. The main road ran right through it, forming its principal street. On either side, small lanes ran out at right angles into the different parts of the village. We received the order to halt, and soon learnt that this was the place where we were to have our ten days' rest. A certain amount of billets had been arranged for, but, as is generally the case, the machine-gun section have to search around for themselves. An advantage, really, as they generally find a better crib this way than if somebody else had found it for them. As soon as we were dismissed, I started off on a billet search. The transport officer was again with me on the same quest. We separated and each searched a different part of the village. The first house I went into was a dismal failure. An old woman of about 84 opened the door about six inches and was some time before she permitted the aperture to widen sufficiently to allow me to go inside the house. A most dingy, pokey sort of place, so I cleared off to search for something better. As I crossed the farmyard behind, my servant, who'd been conducting a search of his own, suddenly appeared around the corner of the large barn at the end of the yard and came towards me. I found a place over here, sir. I expect you'll like. Where? I asked. This way, sir. And he led the way across a field to a gate which we climbed. Then we went down a sort of back lane to the village and it turned in at a small wicket gate leading to a row of cottages. He led me up to one in the centre and knocked the door. A woman opened it, and I told her what I was looking for. She seemed quite keen for us to go there, and asked if there was anyone else to come there with me. I told her that the transport officer would be coming there too, and our two servants. 
She quite agreed to this and showed me the rooms we could have. They were extremely small, but we decided to have them. Them consisted of one bedroom containing two beds, the size of the room being about 14 feet by 8, and the front kitchen sitting room place, which was used by everybody in the house and was about twice the size of the bedroom. I went away and found the transport officer, brought him back and showed him the place. He thought it was a good spot, so we arranged to fix up there. Our servants started to put things right for us, get our baggage there and so on, whilst I went off to see to billets for the machine gun section. I had got them a pretty good barn attached to the farm I first called at, but I wanted to go and see that it really was large enough and suitable when they had all got in and spread themselves. I found that it did suit pretty well. The space was none too large, but I felt we wouldn't find a better. There was a good field for all the limbers and horses adjoining, so on the whole, it was quite a convenient place. The section had already got to work with their cooking things and had a fire going out in the field. Those gunners were a very self-contained happy throng. They all lived together like a family and were all very keen on their job. I returned to my cottage to see how things were progressing. My man had unrolled my valise and put all my things out and about in the bedroom. I took off all my equipment, which I was still wearing, pack, haversacks, revolver, binoculars, map case, etc., and sat down in the kitchen to take stock of the situation. I now saw what the family consisted of, and by airing my feeble French, I found out who they were and what they did. The woman who had come to the door was the wife of a painter and decorator who had been called up, and was in a French regiment somewhere in Alsace. Another girl who was there was a friend, and really lived next door with her sister, but owing to overcrowding due to our servants and some French relatives, she spent most of her time in the house I was in. The owner of the place was called Madame Chalafleur, Christian name Suzette. The other two girls were respectively Bertha and Martha. Ages of all three in the order I have mentioned them were, I should say, 28, 24 and 20. The place had, I found, been used as billets before. I discovered this in two ways. Firstly, on the mantelpiece over the old stove, I saw a collection of many kinds of regimental badges with a quantity of English magazines. Secondly, after I had been talking for some time, Suzette answered my remarks with one of her stock English sentences picked up from some former lodgers. And very nice too, a phrase much in vogue at the time. The transport officer, who had been out seeing about something or other, soon returned, and with him came the regimental doctor who had got his billets all right, but had come along to see how we were fixed up. A real good chap he was, one of the best. All six of us now sat about in the kitchen and talked over things in general. We were a very cheery group. The transport officer, doctor and myself were all thoroughly in the mood for enjoying this ten days rest. To live amongst ordinary people again, and see the life of even a village was refreshing to us. We had a pretty easy afternoon, and all had tea in that kitchen, after which I went out and round to look up my old pals in A Company. They had, I found, got hold of the curé's house, the village parson's rectory, in fact. It was a square, plain-looking house, standing very close to the church, and they all seemed very comfortable there. The curé himself and his housekeeper only had three rooms reserved for themselves, 
the rest being handed over to the officers of A Company. I stayed round there for a bit, having a talk and a smoke, and we each of us remarked in turn about every five minutes what a top-hole thing it was that we had got this ten days' rest. I then went back to our cottage where I had a meal with the transport officer, conversing the while with Suzette, Bertha and Martha. I don't know which I liked the best of these three. They were all so cheery and hospitable. Martha was the most interesting from a pictorial point of view. She was so gypsy-like to look at, brown-skinned, large, dark eyes, exceedingly bright, with a sort of sparkling wild look about her. I called her Le Jeune Fille Farouche, looked this up first before doing so, and she was always called this afterwards. It means the young wild girl. At least, I hope it means that. The doctor came back again after dinner, and we all proceeded to fill the air in the small kitchen with songs and tobacco smoke. The transport officer was a corona-corona expert, and there he would sit with his feet up on the rail at the side of the stove, smoking one of those zeppelins of a cigar, till we all went to bed. There was an heir to the estate in that cottage, one André, Suzette's son, aged about five. He went to bed early and slept with wonderful precision and persistence, whilst we were all making noise enough to wake the curé a hundred yards away. But when we went to bed, this little demon saw fit to wake and continue a series of noises for several hours. He slept in a small cot alongside Suzette's bed, so it was her job and not mine to smack his head. Anyway, we all managed very comfortably and merrily in those billets, and I look back on them very much as an oasis in a six-month desert. That brings us to the end of chapter 26. If you're enjoying this, please like the podcast on whichever platform you're using. Uh, next chapter will be chapter 27. Bye!